I've got the joy of preaching the last in our series of, of four preachers, which is really setting out our vision, which is on these helpfully placed stands. And our vision for this church, Pete Calcraft helpfully likened it to a scotch egg, if you put it together. It's a four-part vision. We've got loving God, loving one another, and then I've got the, the two best bits of a scotch egg, which is the sausage meat and the breadcrumbs. Loving Liverpool and loving the nations. And for me, that loving Liverpool bit is especially on my heart, as Matt uh, sort of hinted at before. I am a, a scouser, a passionate scouser. I was born in Everton. Um, I won't tell you what year. I'll leave you guessing. Um, but I love this city. And, and I did go to live in Leeds for 12 years. And I loved Leeds as well. But even even while I was there, I was just a passionate evangelist for Liverpool because I, I love this place. And, and Leeds had, had nothing on it, to be honest, in my heart. I remember briefly they opened up an open top bus tour of Leeds and it closed within three weeks because there's nothing to see. <laughs> Whereas Liverpool, <laughs> I think they had one statue of a man with a barrel and that was the highlight of Leeds. Whereas Liverpool is just so much atmosphere, so much history, so much about it. It's, it's a special place uh, where, you know, whether you're from Liverpool or from outside. I'm sure you get a, a sense of the atmosphere of this city and I, that's always captured my heart and really when I was in Leeds I was just waiting for God to say it's time to go back. It's time to go back and um, Listen, I don't love Liverpool because it's perfect. It, in fact, it's it's far from perfect. Um, it's not a paradise. It's not it's not a great place in a lot of ways. Um, but I love it in its in its brokenness and in its tragedy. I love it in its checkered history. I love it in its poverty. It's spiritual poverty. It's economic poverty. It's emotional poverty. And I love it most of all because Jesus loves it, and I believe that wholeheartedly. Jesus loves this city, and He wants it back. He wants to claim it back for his own. And, uh, and when, when I got the call to come back, when, when I felt God say to me, go back, it wasn't go back and have a great time in your hometown. It wasn't go back and, and just enjoy Liverpool. I remember specifically the words God spoke to me. I was in Leeds, I was in, in church uh, in a worship time and God spoke to me really clearly. It's probably, it's probably only happened a couple of times in my life where I've just felt God audibly almost speak to me. And he said, go home, son, there's work to do. There's work to do. And boy, is there work to do in Liverpool. There really is. Um, there are so many obvious faults in this city, things that we could dwell on and focus on this morning. I could write a really, really long list of all the things that are wrong with Liverpool. Steve and Gerard will be near the top. But <laughs> I could look in detail all the, all the statistics and problems of this city. I'd pro- probably write a year's worth of preachers on it. Um, and what's happened to this city, what, what's got it to where it is today. But actually, I felt really challenged that this talk and this series is about vision. It's about what we want to see. It's about the future. It's about what God wants to do with this place and how we're going to impact it as, as Freedom Church. Um, and of course, we need to be aware of the prevailing cultures, the prevailing things that happen in the city to be able to, to, to reach out to it and meet it. But as I say, the reason we're here isn't to reminisce it's not to think about what's gone before. It's not to recreate for me the good old days of my youth. It's here to see change and see Jesus reigning in this city. So I really want you to join with me this morning in looking forward, looking ahead. It's big picture stuff. I'm not going to go into minute detail about the specific things that, that God wants to do um, over, over the coming years. God will deliver that in time. He'll show us what he wants us to do. But just join with me in thinking of the big picture of what we want to see is Freedom Church, how we want to impact this city. And there's a sort of theme to my uh, the, the, the points I want to make this morning. 
Um, and that is the theme of a port. Not, not Matt's favourite drink, port, but a port. Um, I really felt God put, uh, put that on my heart for Liverpool. It, Liverpool in its heyday was a bustling, thriving port. It's really what this city was, was founded on. A lot of the wealth and the riches that you see around the city even today were based on its success as a port town. But we also know that since the 60s, that, that has diminished. You know, that the trade and the industry that came through that port really just fell away and left a lot of the problems that we see here today. But what I want to get us focused on this morning is, is a kind of, as Freedom Church, I want us to be like a restoration of, of a thriving, bustling port in this city. Um, and there's three aspects to that. One is that we want to be a port in the storm, offering safe harbour. One, uh, two, that we'll be a port of offering an amazing trade. And three, that we'll be a port that is a gateway to the nations. And that hopefully we'll tie together what we're looking at this morning, loving Liverpool and loving the nations. Okay, so... Point one then, a port that is a safe harbour. Do you want to move it on, Neil? Port in the storm. It's Liverpool, in a lot of ways, is a city which has problems. We, we've talked about some of the horrendous statistics uh, already in this, in this preaching series. Um, you know, for many people in this city, life is a storm. It is a risky, uncomfortable affair, devoid of many of the things that we take for granted. Um, the big health project which, which Barry leads and, and a few of us in the, in the church work for, um, just seven miles away in Kirby, the big health project has fed 8,000 people in the last year, Barry. 8,000 people have been fed from the, the food bank that runs out of the big health project. Seven miles from where we sit this morning, 8,000 people could not afford to put food on their table. To me, that is unbelievable it's shocking it's brilliant that the big health project have been able to meet that need but it's scandalous that that is happening through through work and through conversation with one of uh, Laura Donzo's friends as well one of the things I've learned uh, is that for a lot of families in poverty some of the things that we would consider essential in life just go out the window um, I was talking to a school teacher yesterday she teaches in Kensington and she was saying that a lot of the kids in her school have just got no teeth or, or lots and lots of teeth missing because when they're struggling to put food on the table, that's the priority. They can't afford what they consider the luxury of toothpaste and toothbrushes. It goes out of the window. That's in our city. People just walking around with mouths of, of gums and no teeth because they can't afford to brush their teeth. Again, to, to us, it's like, how, how can this be happening? We've, we've seen some of the stats about uh, fatherhood in this city. Uh, in the Riverside Ward, I know we've, we've heard this statistic before, but if, if you're new, this is, might be new to you. Of all the homes in the Riverside Ward in Liverpool where there are children, dependents, 65% of those homes don't have a father in them. 65%. If you look at the top 20 areas of, of, of the country with, with uh, poor fatherhood statistics, Liverpool has eight of those top 20. The storm's going on in this city. And I don't believe we've been called here to be a safe, prosperous, middle-class church. I really don't. I think we need to be ready as a church to welcome in those people who are going through all of life's storms. So for, a lot, for some people coming to church, it's like coming into a port that, and you're on a cruise ship, which is great. It's great to have everyone with us. We welcome everyone in this church. But a lot of people arrive at a church with having made a choice and having 
chosen where they want to worship and they've got a level of comfort and, and normal life and they come and worship and they enjoy it and they enjoy the family and they enjoy what the church offers and that's fantastic. We, we welcome everyone. But I believe in my heart we need to be ready to welcome some shipwrecks. Some people who come to us in utter desperation, in desolation, who've got nothing, who come here just empty and broken and needy, who are just tossed and blown by the storms that they're in. Now, long term, we really believe and we feel that a big part of this church will be offering social action, social enterprise projects, really specific work and projects that, that really tap into that's the sort of things that these people need. When people come to us, we can offer them practical help. But we're a little away from, from being able to set those things up for, for various reasons, including the fact we're, we're not registered as a charity yet and that sort of thing. But I, listen, I believe that will come. We will do that. We are going to reach out practically to the needy of this city. But in the meantime, in, in the short term, in the, in the now, we are ready, I believe, to start ministering to those shipwrecked people because of what we have to offer, which we see in Scripture. Do you want to click on to the next one, Neil? We have all of these things which we can offer to those people who are broken, who are shipwrecked. We have a loving Father for the fatherless. 1 John 3, verse 1. We'll be sending these preachers out, by the way, um, audibly, uh, on, on audio if you want to download them, and you can follow these passages more in more detail. But 1 John 3, verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. There are so many kids in Liverpool who don't know a father. We've got one, a perfect father who won't leave them, who won't let them down. And when they come to this church, we need to be ready to show that father to them. We have a miraculous healer for the sick. Again, another way people get shipwrecked, another way people come to us in need is that they'll be ill, they'll be diseased, they'll be, they'll be illness. But we have a God who heals the sick. And we believe that he heals today. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. We've heard stories already this year of, of family members and relatives who've been healed. Who've, been, who've had sickness and, and illness taken away from them as we pray for them. And we believe that's going to keep happening. As people arrive at our doors, shipwrecked by illness, we can minister to them with a God who heals. We have a saviour for the lost. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. People will arrive at our door this year lost. Lost, utterly lost. Utterly lost, but we have a God he looks for them. He doesn't leave them. He doesn't abandon them. He searches hard for them and finds them and brings them into eternal life. We've got that to offer already. That God is here. We have a carer for the poor. Psalm 146, verse 7. God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets prisoners free. Yes, we, we will be able in time to offer practical support. We'll be able to offer food, we'll be able to offer shelter, but we'll also have a God who looks after our needs as well, and we can offer him to those who arrive. We have a strengthener for the weak and the weary. Isaiah 40, 
He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We've got that on offer again, that God is right amongst us, ready to minister to people. And as we welcome them in, we need to pour out the love of that God on them. A comforter for the hurting. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. As we are comforted, as we have found comfort in God, we are to pour that comfort out on others as they arrive in need of it, and they will arrive. All of these things, all of these characteristics of God are right here today. They're amongst us. God is with us. God has poured these things out on us. And I believe that we're not to just keep them within this body. We need to fling open our doors. Our port needs to be open. And we need to be ready to welcome the people who are just in the most desperate need of this. Some of you may be in desperate need of it right now. Some of you may have been in desperate need of it recently. We have a God in our church. He he is the centre of this church. And we have all this to offer. People will come to us in storms and that is what we want this port to be, an open, welcome port in the storm. The second thing this port offers is an incredible trade. What we've got up there, I don't know if you're familiar with your, your history, that's the, the trade triangle. And it's a, that, is the, that is what made Liverpool wealthy. That, uh, that, that triangular trade of, of goods and commodities and unfortunately slavery. Liverpool founded its success on this. Um, and, it, and, it, and the port thrived because of the trade it was able to pass through it. But as a church, we are a port as well. And we have a trade that we can offer to people. And it's an amazing trade. It's a beautiful exchange. We exchange filthiness for cleanliness. We exchange sin for righteousness. And we exchange slavery for freedom. That is in our DNA. That is us. We are Freedom Church. And we want to see people exchanging that, having that trade, slavery for freedom. As a church, our success, our growth, our, our whole vision rests on our ability and our willingness and our commitment to preaching Christ Jesus and his gospel. Because without it, to be honest, we've got nothing to offer. Nothing to offer that any other charity or, 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 or social outreach could offer without the gospel. Because sin is mankind's primary problem. Matt brought that home to us excellently in the second preach when, when we were talking about living free and bringing freedom. Matt brought that home to us. Sin is mankind's greatest problem. Forgiveness is our greatest need. God made us because he loves us and he wants us to be in relationship with him and he wanted us to hold him as the highest point in our lives, as the focus of our love and our attention. But man, us, we allowed other things to take over. We, we've put other things top of our lives and God slipped down our pecking order and we've made idols. We, we, we've, we've committed idolatry. And you know, idolatry is utterly rife in Liverpool. It is. There are so many things which are worshipped in the city above God. 
And I'll choose one this morning, and it's one that is close to my heart, and it's football. But I'm, I'm just so aware of it because it's, you know, so many of my, my friends, even, even me at times down the years, have, have made the mistake of putting football at the top of my life. These are a couple of examples. That's a banner on the left that's been displayed at Anfield in the past. Liverpool is our religion and Anfield is our church. That makes me furious. It really does. Not just because it's Liverpool. It's just shocking that people think that way, but they do. It's, it's a prevailing attitude and culture in this city. And just to show I'm not biased, on the right, that's an Evertonian one. Everton, you're in my heart and you're in my soul. That following a football club, following these 11 guys kicking a football around is something that penetrates deep into your soul. Isn't that rubbish? Utter <laughs> <a> rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie's like, I've been waiting 20 years for you to say <laughs> And the quote at the bottom, Bill Shankly, uh, I have to hold my hands up, he was a brilliant manager. He was also an idiot. <laughs> this was his quote, the word fantastic has been used so many times so I would have to invent another word to fully describe the Anfield spectators. It is more than fanaticism, it's a religion. To the many thousands who come here to worship, Anfield isn't a football ground, it's a sort of shrine. And these people are, sim- are not simply fans, they're more like members of one extended family. There is, in Liverpool, a religious fervour around football, and it is an idol. And at times in my life, I I've let it become almost that, to be honest. There were times, you know, 10, 11 hours ago, uh, years ago, that, <laughs> that football would dictate my weekend. It would be the, fo- if it be the focus of my week. I'd be looking forward all week for the Everton match, and then I'd be grumpy all of the next week after the Everton match, <laughs> waiting for the next Everton. And it would be the focus, and Debbie would be fuming because, you know, at 5 o'clock on a Saturday, that was my weekend ruin because Everton had lost again. And it just mattered so much to me. And it was only, you know, probably six or seven years ago that that, that power was kind of broken in me and I, I was able to sort of sort things out because it just got too powerful in my life. But for most people in this city, or a lot of people in this city, that power's still there. It is, to some extent, like like all idols, it's, it's, it's attractive. In football, there's drama and passion. There's success, and riches and glamour. There's failure as well. And there's worship. And I just find it so frustrating because people in Liverpool, they know how to worship and they love worship and they love worshipping together and corporately and they do it every week in those cathedrals of football. But it is completely misdirected. Completely. Because like the idols we see in the Bible, football is completely flawed as, as something to follow. It's an idol of cheap thrills, of short satisfaction, it's an idol, especially for an Evertonian, that lets you down constantly. And it's an idol that doesn't love us back. Those, those men kicking a football around, they don't care who's in the, in, the, in the stand. They care about picking up their paycheck. They don't know anything about the people who follow them. They don't love us. They don't provide any comfort or strength to their followers. They don't, they're not able to heal us or, or have any sort of power in our lives. They don't answer our prayers. At best, football is an escape or a distraction. At best. And yet people put it right up there where God should be. And football, it's, it's just an example. There are so many other idols in this city. There's fashion, hedonism, success, sex, fame, all of those things and more. 
And it's important, none of these things are wrong in themselves, necessarily. Football is not a sin. But the idolatry of football is. And when it becomes the top thing in our lives, we've got it badly wrong. And we are sinful when that happens. That idolatry is an affront to God. To the God who made us to hold him as the number one affection in our lives. And sin, we know, is enslaving. It chains us up, it binds us, and it prevents us from having that right relationship with God that he so longs to have with us. And it requires redemption, and it requires forgiveness, and that is not something we can buy for ourselves. God is righteous, he is holy, and he will judge. But here is where that great trade comes in, that trade that we can offer this city. We've shackled ourselves with whatever idol it may be, and we deserve the punishment from a perfect, holy God. But I'm so glad this morning we sung that song, uh, we sung it last week as well. Because that lyric there gets me every time. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss the guilty world in love. Perfect justice to us in our world, in our judicial system, is getting what's deserved. A punishment which fits the, fits the crime. That would be perfect just, justice in a court of law, making sure that whoever's done a crime gets the punishment they deserve. But for God, perfect justice is measured in grace. In grace. We get exactly what we don't deserve. We receive, for our, for our sin, for our rebellion, for our idolatry, we receive grace, forgiveness, and restored relationship with God. And who gets what we deserved? Jesus. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, and then bore the punishment that we should have had for ourselves to the point of death. He took our sin, he bore it on the cross, and then defeated it by rising to life. And instead of punishment, we get mercy. Instead of judgment, we receive forgiveness. Instead of condemnation, righteousness. Instead of chains and slavery to sin, freedom. That is our amazing trade that we will offer to this city. In this port, that is the trade that we will thrive on. That is the trade that will bring people through our doors and see us growing and growing as they meet the love of Christ in our church. And without it, so many people are destined to live to life in chains. But we must love this city by covering it with the news of this trade, by advertising it everywhere. And when people come here, they must find a community that is shaped by it, by this trade, that is visibly affected by the grace poured out on us. They must find us living free. Because if they come here and find us chained, if they come here and find us not living in that freedom that Christ has given us, then what's going to attract them? As I said before, social action and outreach and, and enterprise will be part of that demonstration in time to come but just a part, just a part of it. More than food and shelter and clothing and debt advice and any other thing that we might be able to offer this city, we must be a loving community, loving God, loving one another and offering the good news of grace and forgiveness and of freedom from death, freedom from sin. To restore this city, we must restore hearts through the gospel. And look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, which I think sums up this point really, really well. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That trade has been made. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We, us, are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you recognise that this morning? We are Christ's ambassadors. As people, if, you, if you're here this morning and you know God and you've been forgiven, you've, you've accepted Jesus in, into your life, you have had that amazing trade made in your life. But it doesn't stop there. The call is to offer that out to others as an ambassador, to live a life of freedom and bring that freedom to this city. That is what we're called to do. That is the amazing trade that we will offer to this city. Okay. And finally, I've talked a lot about Liverpool, but the other part of this, this session is, is loving nations. Do you want to click on there? The third thing that our port will offer is a gateway to the nations. The characteristics of a port mean that lots of people arrive into it and many will stay and settle and, and that's great and that's what we want to see. We want to see people coming here, saved, added, being part of our community here. Liverpool has a rich history of that. You only have to look around at some of the, the communities that are formed from people from outside of the city originally. Chinatown is a great example of that. A huge amount of Chinese settlers in Liverpool. Um, Afro-Caribbean, another large community of Afro-Caribbean people who've arrived in the city and settled. Irish people, like Ken over there. We've even welcomed Ken over the years. What, what, was it in the famine you came, Ken? <laughs> Just after, 1870 or so. Um, <laughs> well, there's a rich history in this city of people arriving and settling, and that, that's part of it. And in 2008, when Liverpool won the capital of culture, and we're still the capital of culture, the tagline that was used to win it was, anyone remember? The world in one city. Jack, well done. The world in one city. And that is Liverpool, and that is here. And we can reach the nations by being, just by reaching out to people in this city, because the nations are here. The nations are here. You only have to look around. Uh, in this city to see the rich um, tapestry of, of, of nations in this city. And that's great. That is a way we can reach this city. We can reach the nations through the people who are already here who, who may move on to, to back to their home, home places. But I think there's more than that. I don't think that's the, the extent of our call. Liverpool is a bit of a, a dichotomy. It, 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 it's, it, there's opposites going on in Liverpool. Within the UK, Liverpool is viewed as quite an insular place, a place which is almost like a mini-nation, a mini-state. It's got its own identity, and a lot of that is due to um, some of the ways that it feels hurt and, and uh, let down by the country. Um, so there's, a, there's almost a bit of separatism of Liverpool from the UK. 
But at the same time, it is a city that is uniquely outward-looking. Uniquely outward-looking. Um, I've got a book at home called uh, Liverpool Wondrous Place. It's by a music journalist called Paul Denoyer. And he says this, As far as Scousers are concerned, Liverpool is not provincial, but it is the capital of itself. It's deeply insular, yet essentially outward-looking. It faces the sea and all the lands beyond, but has its back turned on England. There were men in Liverpool for whom Sierra Leone was a, was a, a fact, but London was only a rumour. <laughs> they knew every dive in Buenos Aires, but had no idea of the Cotswolds. And there's a reputation in Liverpool as a gateway to the world. It's in its DNA as a city that it, it's outward looking. It, we saw that trade triangle before. It, it, it permeates. And, and, you know, I've always said, whenever I go on holiday, it doesn't matter where I am in the world, I'll meet a Scouser. I guarantee I'll meet a Scouser. It happens every time. We're everywhere. It's a city that sends. It's a city that influences the nations. It's a gateway. People pass through it and then get sent out all over the place. And I would love that to be fulfilled again prophetically in this church. Because our call is not just to this city, it is to the nations. Yes, we can start here by loving the nations that are here in the city. And, and there'll be more of that as, as we reach out to students and people who are here for a time that we can sow into and influence and, and bless them with all the stuff that we can offer in our port and they'll go back to their hometowns. But Jesus' commission to us doesn't stop with effect in our locality. When he promises the Holy Spirit in Acts, he instructs witness to Jerusalem, but then to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that is still our mandate. That is still our commission. Now, for some of you, Liverpool might be the ends of the earth. Yeah, You might be here and you're like, this is an effort to be in Liverpool. I'm from wherever I am and I'm here and this is about as far as I think God's going to send me. And that's fine. If, if Liverpool is the ends of your earth, then great. But I believe there's probably people sitting here this morning where maybe you're passing through. Maybe there's somewhere else that God's going to call you to. I believe that will happen. And I believe we are called as a church to be that gateway to the nations. As Matt said before, we belong to that family of churches, New Frontiers. We're part of that sphere, uh, Christ Central. And Christ Central is all over the place in terms of the nations it reaches as churches in Canada. We've got stuff in Africa as well. Even, even as far as Scotland, you know, <laughs> all over the place. It, it, it's in our DNA. It's part of our, of our mandate, part of our, our vision for the whole sphere, not just for this church, to go to the nations. And we want to be faithful to that as, as Freedom Church. We want to see the kingdom of God extended worldwide. That's what we want to see. That's what we're called to. And so this morning, any of you here or anyone who comes to us in future who feels that call, who feels God say, go there. Go there, go there, wherever it is. As Freedom Church, we want to honour that. We want to honour that. And it hurts to lose people. It hurts when people are called and we lose good friends. But our, our passion is for the gospel. Our passion is for the Great Commission. Our passion is to see the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And so as Freedom Church, that will be part of our DNA. We'll love Liverpool, but we'll love the nations by sending people to them. Jack and Sheila are already doing amazing work in Spain. We want to get right behind that. We want to send people out to Spain with them. Yeah to support that ministry that they're doing. We want to be able to give generously to, to things going on overseas, but I, I do believe people amongst us will be called to go to the nation specifically.
And we want to be obedient to that. So there you have it. That is our vision. The last, the last one finished. Loving Liverpool and loving the nations. And I hope, I hope you're all as excited about all of this, not just this one, all of this as we are as a leadership team. Because it's, it's a big vision. And it's one that's full of passion. It's one that's full of, full of the gospel. And, and we, we just desperately want to see change in this place and beyond. And I want to take you back to the, the yoke of our beautiful Scotch egg vision. Because none of it works. None of it works. None of it will happen individually or corporately if we do not love God above all else as a church. We love as he first loves us. We have a huge vision that goes to the ends of the earth, but we will not see it fulfilled if we are not focused first and foremost on God. We love as he first loved us. Our love for Liverpool, our love for the nations is empty if it hasn't been inspired by our love for God first. With him, all things are possible. Without him, we're a bunch of like-minded people with a hope for change that can't be achieved because it's, it's not focused. There's huge work to do in this city. There really is. There's so much to do. And it's tempted to get carried away with that doing, with that serving, with that energetic, passionate pursuit of a vision. But we've got to make sure we work from rest. Rest in God. Yeah? We've got to make sure we do that. If we're not feeding on him, feeding on scripture, feeding on prayer, feeding on worship, we'll get nowhere. That is our heart of our vision and everything resonates out from it. He is our priority, he is our source and he is our light. But from that I believe we can achieve amazing things. We will see the kingdom of God reigning in this city. I ask you to stand. I'm just going to pray for us and I hope you'll join me in just committing to this. Even if you're just here for the first time this morning and you never come back again, that's fine. I still believe you can commit to this and commit to to God first, that's fine. But I just feel it's important for us to to just commit this to God as a church. Lord God, I thank you for this city. Thank you for this city, for all that it is, for all that it has been, and for all that it will be, Lord God. I thank you that you love it. I thank you that you've called so many of us here to it. And Lord, I just want to pray that your kingdom will reign here and will emanate out to the nations, Lord God. But Lord, most of all this morning, I just want to uh, praise you and honour you and just pray that you will do a work in each of our hearts this morning, Lord, that you will be number one in our lives, that our love of you will supersede anything else in our lives, that our love of you will be the source and the power and the, the light for everything else that we do. Look, God, before we reclaim this city, Lord, our hearts need to be reclaimed by you. Before we restore this city, we need restoration by you, Lord. 
I thank you for the restoration work you've done in so many of our hearts this morning, Lord. And if there's anyone here this morning who, who hasn't experienced that restoration work, that, that change, that beautiful trade, Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll speak to them this morning, Lord, and I pray that you'll, you'll come into their hearts this morning afresh. But Lord, as a church, and as people who live in this city, whether they're part of this church or not, Lord, we just want to commit to loving this place, but loving you first. Amen.